Welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. My name is Skip Baccarello, uh, and my wife, Jackie, who is here as well, we've been attending for about the last five months or so. Uh, we split our time between here and Chapel Hill and a place we have in New Hampshire. And it was about two years ago that we moved from Silicon Valley. So a little bit of background, that's, uh, I worked in Silicon Valley for about 40 years in high-tech companies, um, various positions. And, and also when I was there, I wrote, a, I wrote a book called Finding God in Silicon Valley. And believe it or not, uh, there is a God that's active in, in, in Silicon Valley, and there's a very close-knit community there. So I'm going to read, a, I'll read a little later an excerpt. Uh, from that from that book. Well, the title of my talk today is Great Expectations, and specifically, I'm going to talk about heaven, a subject that's fascinated me for many years. Let me open in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity uh, that I have to be here. Thank you for, for this church, for Pastor Chris, for all he's done uh, in this church, and for the very, you know, welcome feeling that I've had. And I pray that you'll be with me, guide me, give me the words to say that'll be honoring to you and meaningful to everyone that's here, including me, the speaker. Amen. Well, expectations. Isn't life full of expectations in one way or another? You know, as a little child, we, we look forward to the, the expectation of our birthday coming up and the presents that we may receive. Uh, and then we, we look forward to the expectation of Christmas and what, what'll be under the tree for us. And as adults, uh, we would look forward to our, our wedding day that's coming with great expectations. And of course, the expectant mother looking for the birth of that child. So life is full of, uh, of expectations. And in many ways, it helps make life meaningful as we're expecting something in the future. And of course, the Bible is also full of expectations. In the Old Testament, there was the expectation of the coming Messiah, which was obviously fulfilled in the New Testament. And then in the New Testament, expecting the second coming of Jesus. Well, I love this series and, and with it, Pastor Chris has been preaching on out of Hebrews 11. And I think he's just an amazing preacher. And we love this church because it's, it's very biblically based as are his sermons. You may recall about three weeks ago, as he's, he's been talking about these patriarchs of our faith. Uh, and sometimes these folks are called the, in the hall of fame of faith. Well, they referred to how these, these patriarchs lived a faithful life and died with the expectation of receiving their rewards in the afterlife. So let me read from Hebrews uh, eleven thirteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So these patriarchs of our faith knew that their ultimate home was in heaven. And in Philippians 3.30, it reads, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So heaven is our home. Let me read a story. This is a story of a, of a friend of mine. I'll tell you a story of a friend of mine. His name is Michael Halloran. 
And Michael and I were in a, were in a small group, a group of, of believers that, that ran various companies in Silicon Valley. Mike ran a marketing company. And as we, as we would meet, uh, at the end of the meeting, we would have discussions and various, various things that maybe were going on in our lives. But at the end, we always had a prayer time. And, you know, typically the prayer request. But Michael's kind of stunned us with his prayer request. He said, he said, well, just recently I've been diagnosed with a growth in my brain. And the doctors tell me that either I will die from that or if I'm operated upon, it's likely to result in paralysis. I mean, you don't get many prayers <laughs> like that. And, uh, and so we were all stunned. And, and we did, obviously, we prayed for Mike and we did over the next several months. And then Mike faced the situation in which he had no choice, but he had to have the operation. And he went to Stanford Hospital and the doctors there gave him very little chance of surviving that, especially surviving it without... Um, without paralysis. So let me read. I, I talked to Michael. He did survive, and no paralysis. He said he, the doctors asked him to move every one of his limbs, and he said they all gave themselves high fives, and he could see that. And, and, and he said they all said it was a miracle, and it was a miracle. But Michael also experienced another miracle. And let me read what he says. He says, There was a moment after surgery when I am convinced I got a glimpse of heaven. I can't fully express it, except to say that if you rolled together every wonderful experience in your life, when your children were born, the first time you met your spouse and fell in love, just everything, and you rolled it all together for one moment, and you amplified it about a hundred times, that is what heaven is. I was overcome with joy and peace and a desire to go home. And Mike, it was interesting because then I talked to him a little after that, and he said, but he had a dilemma. And let me read what he says. He said, it is a struggle every day. Every day I get up and there's a nagging depression in the back of my mind and in my heart that says, I want to go home. This is not my home. My home is somewhere else. But God has given me the opportunity to do his work. And Mike knew that his ministry was now, uh, was on this earth. But his ultimate desire was to go home. So heaven is for real, folks. But there are many misconceptions about, about heaven. Um, and I've, I've came across this cartoon, if you want to show the, show the cartoon. I think this is the way a lot of people think about heaven. They think they may be floating, floating on a cloud someplace, maybe playing harps, and this one maybe wishing that he had taken a magazine with him or whatever. That's a common perception, I believe, of heaven. People think that they're going to be bored. Uh, some, some think it's going to be a perpetual worship service. Now, worship services are great. A perpetual worship service might be a little bit boring. But that's all a misconception about, about heaven. Well, the Apostle John in Revelation, I'm going to read the key verse. He had a glimpse of heaven. And this will be our key verse for today. It comes from Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And this is a passage that you'll often hear at memorial services. And let me read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will, he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As I said at the beginning, the, the whole idea of heaven has fascinated me for many years. And, you know, you don't often hear, you know, in churches, you know, much that's said about heaven. I don't think I've ever attended a, a, a service in which that was the total subject. But my fascination brought me to read, and this is something my men's group had read. There's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. And it's about a 500-page book, and we studied that book, and I've read it a number of times since. But when you came in today, you got a little, you know, sort of a cliff notes of that book. And I would suggest that you take it home and read it and look at the, at the biblical references in it. I talked to someone recently who said that this really helped her tremendously after a child had died, knowing what heaven was like and where her child was. So take that and, and read it. And I'm just going to give you a few highlights from what I've read in scripture and the books I've read, including Randy Alcorn. So I'll just give you a bit of a picture of that. Well, we know in the end, there's going to be a new heaven, as it says in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. That's when our bodies will be resurrected and the earth will be resurrected and made new. But there's a sense that in between that time of when we, when we die and before the new creation, there's something that theologians, theologians call either the present heaven or an intermediate heaven. It's sort of an in-between place. And most agree that in this in-between place, we will also have bodies. We'll have physical, physical bodies, although there is some disagreement on that. But we'll be with in Christ's presence. And you may recall uh, on the cross, Jesus said to the thief, you will be with me in paradise today. So that's the sense. We'll be with Christ in paradise that day. And there will also be uh, an initial judgment and the initial judgment will be, what, where do we put our faith and trust? You know, and will we go to heaven or we, will we go to hell? That'll be the initial, the initial judgment. There'll be a following judgment, which sometimes people re refer to as the rewards in heaven. You know, those that are more faithful will get more opportunities for service is the idea with that. But there'll be an initial judgment when we're into this immediate, uh, intermediate state. And we'll have resurrected bodies. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> we'll, have new, we'll have new bodies. Um, and that's something that, that there's much agreement on. And we're told this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, it reads, Just as we have, been, we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, meaning Jesus. And there'll be no more death, as it says in Revelation 21, no more death, no more pain, no more subject to sin, and no pandemic, no basks. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, Philippians 3.21 says this as well. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body and will have immediate consciousness. And as it says in Revelation, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. As we are resurrected, the earth will be redeemed as well. So we'll be on earth, and there'll be a new heaven, but it'll be all made good. It'll be beautiful, beyond, beyond comparison. And we'll have the, 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 you know, the time to explore this. It was interesting. I had 
there was a dinner. My older daughter, we were at dinner, and this was a number of years ago. She was probably in her 20s at the time. And people then were talking about bucket lists. You probably remember the movie, Bucket List, what do you want to do before you pass away, and so on. And she had a very perceptive comment. She said, Dad, I'm not concerned with, with my bucket list, what I'm going to do before I die, because I know I'll have all eternity to do that. And that's what I would call an eternal perspective. There's no rush to do that here. That's an eternal perspective. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But there'll be no more deceit, no more lying, and no more broken relationships. And we'll have a chance to see the face of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would be like? Imagine the person that you feel loves you more than anything, and multiply that by a thousand times, will be able to see and be with Jesus. And that'll, that'll be just amazing, the creator of the universe. And we'll have a place to stay. As, as Jesus said, in my house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So we'll have a place to stay there, a place to stay with our, with our new bodies. And Randy Alcorn makes an interesting comment in his book. He believes that God is, believes in diversity. In diversity, in, in this case, he was talking about, well, we could have the places to stay might be unique to each one of us, to our own interests, to our own desires. So we will have a, we will have a place to stay that'll be unique to us. And we'll have friends. We'll be reunited, reunited with family members who are believers, with our spouse, with our children, with our grandchildren. We have the opportunity to meet many, many others. You know, it's interesting that sometimes when someone passes away, we, we say, I'm sorry for your loss. But that's not really so accurate because it's not a loss. You've lost connection for a while. You'll be reunited with that person at another time. In marriage, marriage will not be in heaven as we know it. As the second, as the song said earlier, Jesus will be our first love, and that'll be the most important relationship that we have. But we'll be still connected with our spouse and with our children, and we'll enjoy them. But our best, uh, most important relationship will be with Jesus. And we'll have an opportunity to meet some of these biblical characters. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit and talk to Moses or Abraham or Sarah? You know, Sarah, what was it like to have a child in your 90s? <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, we'll have a chance to do that when we're in heaven. And what will we do? We'll do many things. There is a sense that we'll do many things we do today. We'll take some of our interests and skills that we have today, and we'll, we'll apply those in heaven. Um, we'll be able to work, serve, um, and help run God's new creation. And, and I like to think about, think about it this way. If you think of your best day at work, I believe that'll be the days that we have work when we work in heaven, our best days at work. There's also a sense that there'll be animals. And when God made his creation, he created animals, and he said, and that is good. So there's every sense that there probably will be animals in heaven, and maybe even the pets that we have. So we can look forward to that, and we'll have an opportunity to rest. Well, as part of my fascination with heaven... I've read a number of books on near-death experiences and talked to people who have had near-death experiences. Now, we have to be sometimes skeptical about near-death experiences because sometimes they're fraudulent. But I've focused on listening to and reading from Christian theologians and people who, who I know, know of and trust. And, and these are just, to me, it's just amazing. Well, let me start with, with one that was, there are near-death experiences and glimpses of heaven. Well, there's one in 2 Corinthians with the Apostle Paul. And in this passage, Paul talks 
as if he's in the third person, maybe not to bring attention to himself. But theologians believe that he's talking about himself here. So let me read this. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, he said, I must go on boasting. After there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. And then he says, I know a man in Christ. He's really referring to himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. And I believe that this influenced Paul and the rest of his ministry when he had a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven. Now, I was talking to a heart surgeon one day. This was a classmate of mine who has now passed away. His name is Clee. And I asked him, I said, Clee, you know, when you, during this heart surgery, you must have had people that, that you know, had no brain activity that passed away and came back. And, and tell me, did they, some of them have near-death experience? He said, absolutely. And he said, those people that he talked to just were overcome with emotion when they described what they experienced in heaven. Well, there are many accounts of, of near-death near experiences, um, and, and I have a number of books. Well, one book I have is Heaven is for Real, and there was a movie on that. Is every, people, have you seen the movie or read? Isn't that truly an amazing story? And if you haven't, just a very brief, I'll just a couple of brief summary of that. It's a story of a, of a young boy. He was almost four years old, and his dad, his dad, uh, his name was Todd Burpo. The little boy was Colton. And they were on a trip, and Colton had contracted appendicitis, very serious. They put him in the hospital. You know, the doctors didn't give him much chance to survive. Lots and lots of people were praying for him. But he did survive. And after that, in the, in the days and the weeks and the months after that, he began to talk about things or th that he experienced. His parents, first they dismissed them. But then they, they kind of sat and they asked him, you know, some, some leading questions, not really prompting him leading questions about what he experienced. And what he experienced was amazing. He said that he, had a, he sat on the lap of Jesus, and he met Jesus' cousin. He didn't remember his name. Of course, that was John the Baptist. <laughs> but he met Jesus' cousin there. And then he said some things like he met, he met someone called Pops, or Pop. And, and he, you know, Pop, as it turned out, Pop was his father's grandfather. He had, he had passed away 25 years before Colton was even born. And Colton had never, didn't know Pop, had never even seen a picture of him. Well, his dad pulled out a picture at one point and said, he said, is this, and this is when, just before Pop had passed away in his 60s, he said, is this Pop? And Colton said, no, I don't think that's Pop. So they were kind of mystified. But then his dad called a relative. He said, do you happen to have a picture when Pop was young? So they, this person sent the picture to him. And, he's, and, and he, you know, he, he got Colton. He says, Colton, just look at this picture. Does anything look familiar? He says, oh, yeah, that's Pop. And Pop was 29 years old. I mean, that's the, you can't make these things up. It's just amazing. And I think one of the stories there is maybe when we're all in heaven, we won't be old people. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be a lot younger, maybe in, the, maybe in the prime of our life. He also said something interesting, um, Colton. Uh, and he said, he just this came up once. He said, I met, uh, I met one of my sisters in heaven. He says, well, you know, Cassie is alive. No, I said, I, met a, I have a second sister. Then he told the story that when he was experienced having, this little girl came running up and gave him a hug. And little four-year-old boys sometimes don't like hugs. 
But he gave him a hug, and, 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 he, and she said, you know, I'm your sister. And he said, I, I died in mommy's stomach. And, and Mr. and Mrs. Burpo were like, they had never told Colton that she had had a miscarriage. And again, isn't that um, encouraging? And also, he, you know, so they said, well, what's her name? He said, well, she doesn't have a name. But she's looking forward when, when mom and dad get to heaven and they can give her a name. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. There's another, there's another one of my favorite uh, theologians. His name is Gary Habermas. He wrote a book called Beyond Death. And he has lots of stories about near-death experiences. I'll just tell one. He tells the story of a young girl by the name of Katie who drowned. And she was rushed to the hospital. She had no brain activity. She was in a state of comatose. They put her on an artificial lung. Her brain had swelled up. And again, they gave her very little chance of recovery. But she did recover. And after she recovered, they began to ask her some questions. And she was telling about all that she experienced. And she described in great detail what the doctors were doing while she was in this comatose state, what they were doing, what they looked like. And she even said that she traveled, she had an out-of-body experience, traveled to her home, saw her mother preparing dinner, and described what her mother made for dinner, the dinner conversation, and the toys that her siblings were playing with. And she also saw Jesus and described Jesus, and she said there was a, uh, an angel by the name of Elizabeth that kind of, that kind of led her around in heaven. Again, these stories are just, are just amazing. In the book Imagine Heaven, author John Burke researched 100 near-death experiences. And what he did is he found commonality among them. One is that often people have this out-of-body experience the way that, that Katie did. Uh, but also, they, and, and some of them described that they were more conscious and more alert than they are in heaven. They had incredible peace and saw indescribable colors. And saw just an, an amazing place that in some ways they couldn't even, couldn't even describe. It was an unworldly realm. And they also said, not all of them, but many of them, they had also experienced a review of their life you know, in front of Jesus. Now, I, I told, I was on the phone with a good friend of mine just a few days ago. His name is Tom. And I told Tom that I was going to be giving this message today. He says, feel free to share this story if you'd like. Tom and I have known each other for probably 40, 40 plus years. He had been married for 60 years. He and I were in the men's group that, that studied this book uh, the book called Heaven, Randy Alcorn's book. And his wife had just died uh, about six months ago. And he told this story. He said, after she passed away, uh, a few days after that, I was in bed and I was praying. And I was praying. I said, God, I, I know you're real. I know you exist. I know heaven is there. And could, could you just give me some sign that my wife, is, her name was Kip, my wife is in heaven and, and that heaven is for real. And then he told me, he said he, he felt a hand on his shoulder, a hand of, of reassurance. And, you know, we don't always get that, but it was such a blessing to Tom, and it gave me chills when he told me that story. Well, here's a five-minute video that I came across recently. It was on the Christian Broadcasting Network about a woman who had a near-death experience. So let's show, let's show the video now. I didn't have pain at all. What is everyone back on earth doing. I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't worried about anything. And I was overwhelmed with just the peace and the, just the joy and the glory of it all. 
pretty quickly after finishing eating. I had a feeling that was heavy in my chest, but just felt like indigestion and didn't really think a whole lot of it. Um, and then I noticed pain in my left shoulder started to kind of go up near my jaw. My breathing was getting a little harder, um, shallow, and uh, all of a sudden I just kind of had a flush of sweatiness, just all of a sudden got real clammy and sweaty. And that's when I really started to think, well, maybe this really is something going on with my heart. So that's when I called for my daughter to come out to talk to me and I let her know I wasn't feeling right, that I felt like I might need to go to the hospital. She's like, call, call 911. And uh, so I did. So they came in and I remember the EMT started asking me questions, who I was, how I was feeling, and I started to describe to him the pain and, and what all the symptoms I was feeling. And all of a sudden, I just said, um, my head feels funny. And I said, and my vision. And at that point, all I saw, it was like this veil, this white cloudy veil just kind of came down. And that, that was it. The next thing I know is I was just in a bright, bright place and was just overwhelmed with joy and peace and happiness and just looking around at, at everything or everyone, try, just trying to see who all was there. It was a place of comfort. It was like a familiar place. Like I knew people that I loved were there and I was trying to just looking to see what all was there and who all was there. It was just beautiful. It was just so much, just no pain, no fear, just peace, comfort, joy. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. And why would you want to leave? <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> As I'm doing all that, I, I hear my name called out and I said, nah, no, thank you. I'm like, I, I'm happy here. I'm staying here. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm not leaving this. Then I heard my name again, and I'm like, oh, do I have to answer? I said, maybe if I answer, they'll let me come back. <laughs> so I answered, and the moment I answered to my name, it was, it was gone. And, and back right there with the EMTs, no longer in heaven. Then they just started letting me know what was going on, what happened, that I had actually had the heart attack. They had to um, perform CPR and shock my heart to get me back. And he said that it was about two to two and a half minutes that I had been um, dead, that had no heartbeat. I ended up having a tear in one of my arteries, a very small tear. They gave me some heart medications and said that I should be all right and that, that it, it should heal up on its own. Um, and that I was only in the hospital for two days and I was able to go home. I really believe the Lord let me go through this for my daughter so that she can have that reassurance and, that, and know, know that heaven's real, God's real, Jesus is real, and it's all worth it. Just to know that whatever 
you go through on this earth, in this earthly life, as bad and as hard as it is, it's worth it to know Jesus as your Savior and to trust God with all you're going through. There is nothing on this earth that can even give you a comprehension of of how amazing and gl <laughs> glorious the, the peace and the joy is up there. The knowledge of knowing that it, heaven is there waiting on me, on everyone that trusts and believe in him is, it's just amazing. I mean, isn't it interesting? Her reaction was very similar to Michael's, the told story I told earlier, where she didn't want to leave. Well, heaven is for real. What does it mean? What does it mean for us? And I think as, as this woman described, one of the things it means for us is that, that it gives us an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. You know that none of us know when we're going to die, at 5, at 55, at 105. We just don't know. But life is short no matter how you measure it. I remember I saw a video online. I think it was, it was Francis Chan. And he had this rope that, he's, he, that he, he ran around the stage and up the aisle. And he said, he said, our time on earth is like this small piece of the rope. And that's eternity. It's insignificant. You know, I had a similar feeling when once I was in a plane flying, flying to Europe. And I was sitting at, this, uh, at a seat, it was a window seat. And I had this little glass of water in front of me. And I looked down at the Atlantic Ocean. And I had this sense, I said, if this glass of water represents my time on earth, and that Atlantic Ocean represents eternity. It doesn't matter whether this glass is full, it's half full, or it's nearly empty. It's small. My life is small compared to eternity. So that gives us an eternal perspective, which helps us. When we have an eternal perspective, no matter what we experience, ups and downs of life, we go through, through difficulty. And I don't want to minimize it because there, there, there are probably people here online that, that are experiencing pain right now. But knowing that, that in the end, we're going to get through it makes a difference when we have that eternal perspective. I'll tell you another story. I have a friend. His name is, is I like to tell stories, as you can tell. <laughs> I, I have a friend. His name is, is Manuel. And Manuel and I are good friends. And he had a, like a little a stroke, and he was worried. His wife was very worried about his, about his heart. Well, Manuel is a, is, a, uh, is a big sports fan. And he gets very stressed out when his, team, his teams are playing. Does anyone, anyone like that here? To get stressed, I get stressed out sometimes when I watch the teams that I'm rooting for. Anyway, he gets so stressed out, his wife will not let him watch a game live. <laughs> so he'll only, only watch the game when he knows the score at the end. And you think about that. So if his team, if they fumble a ball, if there's an interception, if they're behind by 20 points, it doesn't matter because he knows in the end his team is going to win. And I think that's a fitting metaphor for life because no matter what we go through, we know in the end God wins and we win. And with that eternal perspective, it really helps us get through life. Well, the question comes, can I be, be uh, assured that I'll be in heaven? Can I be assured? Well, it's very interesting. Studies have shown that most people, most Americans, believe they're going to heaven. They believe they're going to heaven because they're good people. And I've seen, I've seen it where, where they're, they look at a scale and they say, hey, if Mother Teresa is at the top of the scale and maybe mass murderers at the bottom, most people put themselves at about the 80% level. 
They're not Mother Teresa. They're not a mass murderer, but they're better than most people. And they think they're good enough that they'll get to heaven. Well, of course, that is not biblical, right? That is not biblical. We get to heaven because of what we do with Jesus. And heaven is not our default. And this is an important point that a lot of people don't know. They think heaven is the default. Heaven is not the default. As Jesus said, the gate and the road are narrow, and not all find it. Heaven is for real, but hell is for real as well. But that's a subject of a whole nother talk. The only thing, the only thing I'd like to say is that earth is be sort of between heaven and hell. And if you can imagine our best days at work, I think we get a little glimpse of heaven. And the worst days of, of, of on earth, we get a little glimpse of hell. And I think hell is really separation from God. That's what it is, being separated from the person that most, most loves you. There's a quote that I read a while ago. I don't remember exactly where it's from, but it's, I think it's an important quote. It says, it says this, and I'll paraphrase it. In the end, meaning when we die, in the end, all that matters is who loved us, who we loved, and what we did about Jesus. That's all that really matters in the end. Did we accept Jesus' free gift of forgiveness? Did we accept his grace? Do we put our trust and faith in him? Or do we put it in ourselves? Maybe in our wealth or intelligence or whatever, or do we put it in the creator of the universe? The Apostle John writes in 1 John 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Yes, we can be assured that we have eternal life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. In this little booklet, the very last chapter is titled that, Can I Be Assured That I Have Eternal Life? So if you have any questions, you know, read that, look at the biblical rev- references. So what, we sh- what should we do with all this <laughs> that I've been talking about today? Well, certainly, I hope that you, know, you even have a better understanding of what heaven is. But our next step is believe in the promise of heaven. Believe in the promise of heaven. And if you're here today or if you're online and you've not yet put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the first thing I want to do is say thank you. Thank you for coming or thank you for watching online. But I would suggest that you seriously consider faith. That's the life that God wants for you. And there's no more decision and more important decision we can make in life as to where to put our faith and our trust. And that decision has eternal consequences. It has eternal consequences. I would suggest that, that you look at the evidence. You know, I was there about 35 years ago, and I would have called myself a Christian, but I, I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't attending church. I had as a youngster, but I really didn't know what it was to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I was prompted to take the time to look at the evidence for Christian faith. And there is a little bit of a misconception that most people think faith is blind faith. Well, it's not blind faith. There is lots and lots of evidence for faith. In fact, there's a title of a book which I believe in. It takes more faith not to believe than to believe. So if you've not yet made that commitment to Jesus, I suggest you look at the evidence. I was convinced 
And, and it was, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus as the son of God. It was the most important decision that I made in my, in my life. And it really transformed my life. You know, if, if you're not yet a believer, I suggest look, read the Bible, look at the book of John, and even pray to Jesus to help you with your unbelief. We have free will. God gives us free will. We have free, free to choose Jesus or reject him. But as I said, the consequences have eternal, are, are eternal. Let me read Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. After today's gathering, if you're, if you're here and you've not yet made your, your commitment to Jesus, and if you feel like today is the day, you know, I'll be, I'll be here and, and Crystal will be here and we'll be happy to pray with you or pray for any other concerns that you may have. Today could be your day to make that commitment. Now, if you are here today and are already a follower of Christ, well, congratulations. And believe in the promise of heaven. And I would encourage you to develop this eternal, eternal perspective. Live a joyful, God-centered life, knowing that you can get through anything. One of my favorite Bible verses is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And take love seriously. You know, the Bible is about love. Jesus wants to love our neighbors, love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, too often we, as we mature as, as Christians, we surround ourselves only with other fellow believers. But take the effort, get to know people who are not yet believers. And don't, don't conform to the culture always. We should be different. We should be people of integrity. We should be people of compassion. We should be helping those that are less fortunate than ourselves. So love is what we're called to do. And one aspect of love that's too often neglected is to, is to share our faith. You know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, go make disciples of all nations. That is what we're called to do. Go make disciples of all nations. And develop these eternal, this eternal perspective. And know that in the end, God wins and we win. And look forward to the fulfillment of your greatest expectation, which is eternal life in heaven. 